Support for Class Dismissed comes from school status. School status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at schoolstatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, episode 230, and I'm your host, Nick Ortigo. This week, should boys start school a year later than girls? Some are making a case for it. Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics in news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This episode, Can Gamifying Your Classroom Really Help? Hello, everybody. Nick Ortigo here, and I'm joined by friend, chief academic officer, as well as co-host of the Class Dismissed podcast, Christina Pollard. Christina, how are you doing today? It's a Monday morning. I'm fired up. <laughs> I bet you are. And I guess, do you all have a fall break coming up like we do? Actually, we do. So next week is our intercession week. Um, obviously, that's an important week for my department. We'll be serving uh, about 350 children, uh, kindergarten through 12th grade. And then the next week is fall break. My department, we're not off, <laughs> but you know, we, a few of us took a few days. Right. And so you started early and now at least some people are getting two weeks right. off. Some are getting one week yeah. off. Some are getting no time off, I guess. But. Well, listen, listen, for the teachers, first and foremost, this is a great thing. This is great for their emotional health. Mm -hmm. They get to take some time off. If they decided to sign up to teach intercession, they get to make some extra money. If they decide to participate in the professional development that we're offering, they get free training and they're compensated for it. Or they can just enjoy the couch and Cheetos and daytime television. In our county, um, when they first like announced that they were doing this schedule, I think there were some skeptics out there. But once that fall break hit, and you had two weeks, that's when everyone started buying in. So I don't know. You guys are doing it for your first time. I don't know if you feel like you already have the buy-in, but if you don't, you might be getting it soon. Yeah, I think we've got the buy-in. <laughs> All right, good. All right, well, today um, I wanted to share an article that caught my attention, raised my eyebrows, if you will. Um, it was shared by some friends of mine who are actually educators. And I was like, oh, really? I didn't know that was something that you know fellow educators were advocating for. And so here it is. It's an article in the Atlantic and it's titled red shirt, the boys. It's of course pulling from the, the athletic term of red shirting. Like when you ha are on a football team and they, right. you know, you're, you're there, but you're Freshman not year, right. you kind of just sit to the side. Right. So I guess what they mean in this particular case is they're saying that boys should be not really going into kindergarten until they're a little bit older than girls. And it, the article starts by kind of diving into the private school system around the Washington, D.C. area, because they say that in that community, those private schools, that it is very, very common for the headmasters or whoever, as new kids come along, to, to look at parents with boys and say, what's the rush? Just wait. Let them... Uh actually hold back and their brain will be more developed. They'll be more socially and emotionally prepared. It's not so much having to do with academics, but they will be more mature going into the system. This author started examining all those private schools in the area and seeing that 
you know, whereas in public school, it's, there's only like a 6% of the population kind of does this. Apparently there it's over 20%. First, let me get your overall thoughts and then I'll dive into some of the data that they present. Well, I, the moment you mentioned um, giving them an opportunity to develop more, I can truly see that. But I think the same holds true for both boys and girls that, um, you know, when you think about how our standards have changed, how accountability has changed, the increase in testing, if we hold them back so that they can socially develop, then we're going to pretty much put them at a disadvantage academically. That's just my opinion. A disadvantage? Yes, because while they're playing and socially um, interacting, they're not learning the new rigorous standards that kindergartners are learning. You know, when I think about, all right, if um, I would have kept my baby home an additional year so that he could play and socially develop, um, he'd still be in high school right now and he would be above age. Yeah, that's true. I wonder how that would make him feel. That's true. All right. So so here's kind of what they point out in the article. First, it was kind of the question that I had. They, they were kind of like, well, why should we give boys a later start? Eff- effectively giving them almost an advantage over girls is kind of what they were saying. Like when you're in first grade or kindergarten, the boys will be older. Why, why do that? And then they point out this. They say, half a century ago, when Title IX was passed to promote gender equality in higher education, there was a 13% gap in the proportion of bachelor's degrees going to men compared with women. They say now, wow. they say now today, that gap is 15 percentage points, but it's the other way around. So women are excelling in college and, and getting those bachelor's degrees. Um, but th- they say it starts even sooner than that. They go all the way back to like age five. They say American girls are 14 percentage points more likely than boys to be quote school ready. And this is an actual study that they cite, but say school ready at age five. And it's an even bigger gap between rich and poor children than that 14 percentage points. I do agree that there is a huge gap between, um, you know, high poverty and low poverty. But I am shocked to just think that the only reason girls are excelling better, uh, let's say, you know, in college is because boys weren't weren't ready for school. I think we should consider some of the factors related to women's rights, um, women's desire to improve their skills, to get out of the homemaking setting and become businesswomen and educators. I think there are a lot of other factors that are playing into that. I, I agree 100%. It goes on to say that the article also points out that um, girls, women are excelling um, in fourth grade, that there is a reading proficiency gap. They're 6% ahead in fourth grade and 11% ahead by eighth grade. And So what's um, great about the data you're sharing is that there's, there's, again, factors that we don't know about, maybe in the study and maybe not. Because when we think about the age of children in fourth grade, um, we know that it's hard to gain interest for boys. And one of the mistakes that we make is choosing or forcing genres or types of reading on our boys. It was one of the things I discovered about both of my boys. When I allowed them, my youngest, let me say, to read about sports, statistic, and historical facts, he would read all day long. But if I wanted him to read a chapter book um, beyond Harry Potter, he was not interested. Yeah. But with girls, they love every type of genre. It does. It does seem that way. Look, I, I've got two older boys. I have a a girl, and they they were all been different. I don't even think it's fair to say 
based off of you know sex it's one way or the other like my oldest boy, i agree you know because listen that oldest child of mine did not want to read a book <laughs> right you know so the author goes into the idea of like we need to test this out in public schools we need to do pilot programs and stuff which i okay. you know i'd be willing to you know see i i hate someone to be the guinea pig but at the same time if there's an advantage and it could help maybe it does need I'd to be like examined i'd like to add another factor though go ahead i think that they would need to examine the types of homes that children are coming from and the influence that parents have because as an avid reader myself my children saw me reading all types of things they heard me talk about how much i love to read i took them to the bookstore obviously i didn't have a choice if i was running to the grocery store and i ran by the bookstore they had those experiences so then they wanted to purchase a book um my oldest love for me to buy him a book but he was only interested in it for a few minutes my youngest I kept up with many titles for him. And I think his love of reading probably shifted when his schedule changed because he started playing sports. Yeah, that I can see all that as, as a possibility. The The one thing in here that um, we hadn't talked about, which I don't think there is even a solution or fix for, like, let's just say if boys, you know, start school at such and such date and when it comes to kindergarten and girls should start at this date, you know, with this birth date, if they were to do that, it's one of the big problems is daycare right like i was broke true when i was i yeah. uh, had my first child and it's astronomical now and he was kind of like on that cusp of do we start him now or do we hold him back and um my wife and i at the time said well you know if we put him in public school we don't have to pay for daycare we so i guess maybe that's one of the factors we have to look at is 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 to consider the birth date um when my baby started my youngest child when he started kindergarten he um turned five and that's you know that that spring. So he had some time to make some developments. Whereas our oldest son, his birthday is the day after Christmas. So obviously he was one of the oldest five-year-olds in his class. Um, they they do point out in the, the story that there was kind of a spike in interest in doing this back in 2008 because um, the author, uh, well-known author Malcolm Gladwell presented evidence in his book Outliers that children older than their classmates do better on academic tests and in life generally. But this is just kind of another little spike seeing this happen in this private school system around the D.C. area. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to share this article in the show notes just so people can kind of dive into it and, you know, get their own thoughts and conclusions. Like I don't know how I feel about it, but <laughs> you know, I figured I should put it out there since people in the education circles that I'm around were speaking about it. So, Well, I think it's rather cool to be honest with you. It's the first time I've really heard grand discussion on it. All right. Well, great. Uh, Christina, are you ready for today's Bright Idea? Yeah, bring it on. Our guest in today's Bright Idea segment is going to tell us how gamification can help improve relationships with students and create a community in the classroom. Sean Young is the co-founder and CEO of Classcraft, an innovative platform that helps educators motivate their students using the mechanics of games. Uh, since its launch, Classcraft has gained incredible traction worldwide, providing tools to transform behavior in classroom cultures. Sean, welcome to Class Dismissed. Thanks, Nick. Uh, happy to be here. For those that have no idea what Classcraft is, or maybe they've heard of it, but they've never actually seen it in action, what's kind of your elevator pitch to those people? Um, well, that's a, that's a good one. Um, yeah, an elevator pitch is always uh, tough, but basically what we're saying is, um, you know, our goal is to make school a better place for kids, make it more meaningful. And to do that, we're um, helping teachers um, 
build better relationships with students through, you know, using the mechanics, the culture of games. So Classcraft isn't a video game, but it's using all the things that make video games so engaging to really connect with students and give them positive feedback about how they're behaving, relating with school. So you get points and you level up for being a student that is a good citizen, is a good you know, participant to the classroom community uh, versus, you know, completing math homework or whatever. You you just said something that I want to make sure everyone heard and distinguish because you said that Classcraft isn't a game, but you're basically bringing in those elements. Like you're trying to make the classroom almost feel like a game. You're not actually like going into a game. Um, and the reason I say that is because I myself used to be a, a big gamer and I used to play Warcraft and I'm kind of guessing that's where the name maybe originally came from, that craft and class. Am I, am I right about all that? Uh, yes and yes. Uh, so, um, you know, so I'll answer the craft question. Yeah, sorry, I threw two at you there. Yeah, that, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, I played World of Warcraft a lot, um, you know, when I was younger. And um, and that's really where, you know, kind of the inspiration came from. Now, I think most kids would relate more to Minecraft. Uh, they, they would probably connect the craft to Minecraft. But, um, you know, it's, it's kind of a used, uh, you know, suffix in gaming. Um and, you know, and for me, you know, kind of the, the way Classcraft came about, I was a teacher for, for 10 years and was really obsessed with making school meaningful for kids. And I did that through, you know, project-based learning. I was a physics teacher. So we had, you know, we built cannons, we built hot air balloons. We did all kinds of, you know, fun stuff like that. Um, and then I quickly realized that the second part of making school meaningful going beyond, you know, what, what the experience is of the curriculum is what the experience is of the classroom and the relationships and the community that you could build there really um, drives students, you know, desire to be there, desire to participate, ultimately desire to learn. And then you know, that's kind of how I had the idea. I'm a gamer, as you can, you know, surmise. And so kind of put two and two together and said, why don't I run my classroom as though it was a game? What is it about games that make them so engaging, so motivating? Going back to World of Warcraft, you know, these kids were spending, um, you know, three hours at night doing the same stupid task in, in, in Warcraft, which was like, you know, grinding to kill the monsters or, you know, killing murlocs. Why are they doing that, which is repetitive and boring? but they're not willing to do their homework. I, I don't know if if people always think about games the way the way maybe you do or, or I do. Like a lot of times I don't know if we realize how smart these game makers are and it's like I don't know if they're pulling from like Skinner's box experiment from years ago where like the mouse would hit the little lever and sometimes then a reward would come out and and I think like games are often built like that where you know you can win a skin or or you win something within the game whether it's a something that helps you level up and that's kind of what often keeps us coming back and playing and and I say all that to say do you kind of build any of that into the classroom are there rewards that may come at random that keeps kids engaged um, with whatever project it may be tied to or am I thinking way too much about all that? No, no, that's exactly right. I mean, the, so game makers, uh, and this is well documented by you know game makers like Ubisoft and, and Blizzard, etc. They're they're basing a lot of the game design on a theory of motivation called self determination theory. And so what that says is we partake in experiences that fulfill fundamental needs um, and the need for our self determination, and because you know nobody's forcing 
gamers to play these games. They're doing it because they want to. And the reason they want to is like these games are designed to fulfill these core needs. So the first one is um, feeling like you're progressing competency. So either you're progressing or you've developed mastery. We're motivated by those types of situations. The second one is control. The third one is, uh, which I talked about earlier, the third one is relatedness. So being able to share that experience with other human beings. And different types of people are motivated by different, you know, the, the how, how much are you motivated, for example, by leveling up is different for different people. Um, so robust game experiences, you know, kind of cater to those three core pillars of motivation. And that's what we've built and designed into Classcraft. Um, and, and, you know, by the way, it's not just games. It's, it's any situation. Like my, my favorite metaphor for this is golfing. You know, not a video game, um, and yet it's a game, right? It's it's a you can win and you can play golf. Um, and when you think of the task for golfing, it's take that ball, put it in that hole over there. And if I were to tell you to do that and you didn't know about golfing, you would probably just pick up the ball, walk over, drop it in the hole, and say, you know, I'm done. I'd say, no, no, Nick, you got to do that 500 times, and then you would say that's work, <laughs> you know, pay me. Uh, and I'd say, wait, wait, I for- sorry, I forgot to tell you that you, you can't just pick up the ball. You have to, here's a bag of sticks. We'll call them clubs. They're all different. And you need to hit the ball with the, with these sticks. And, oh, by the way, you don't have an infinite amount of shots. You need to do this in the least amount of shots possible. So that's how you're going to keep track how good you are. And by the way, that hoodie you're wearing, I need you to go home and change. And people who play golf aren't being paid to do this task. They're paying their own money to do that task. And so what we've done by putting in place these rule sets that speak to specific motivators we have as human beings is completely redefined a meaningless task and made it meaningful. You know, when you think about competency, that's why you have your score in golf. It's, you know, why do people go to the same golf course? It's so they can improve their score. We're motivated to get better. Why do you have clubs in golf? Why is there a whole bag of them? It's because you want to make decisions. You know, which club am I going to use for which shot? How am I going to get around this, you know, water trap, et cetera? And why is there a uniform for golf? Is so you can identify other golfers. Um, and so there's a whole social relatedness piece about being part of a group and sharing that experience. And so what we're doing with, with school is the same thing. We're saying, let's look at this experience, which for a lot of kids is meaningless and it's just tasks they need to do that is work. And let's rethink how we present, how we package that, the rules of engagement for that, so that uh, it fulfills these needs and, in, in, in essence, develops intrinsic motivation. All right. So I love that. Let's make that real for somebody listening who's never seen this in action. Like, give me, um, whether it's math class or science class, what we can do science since, that, since that's what you used to teach. Um, yep, yep. Like, how does that look in the classroom tied to the curriculum so it's, it's actually not tied to the curriculum it's kind of part of why classcraft is able to you know be in so many classrooms um so but imagine i'm teaching middle school science so class starts and i say you know everybody be seated at the bell everybody who's seated i'm gonna give you 100 points so you know 30 out of 33 kids are seated i give they get 100 experience points and it's been it's clear they know how to gain these points right um 
And then I just start my lesson the way I normally would. In Classcraft, we have a thing called random events, and it's a way to just kickstart your class. And so it picks an event at random. And there are things like everybody has to speak like a pirate for the rest of the class. Or, you know, you have 20 seconds to build a paper airplane. Whoever goes the farthest gets 100 points. And so these are really bite-sized activities, but to get all the students right on the same page. And then as I'm giving my class, I've, you know, predetermined with students the types of behaviors I want to see, and I can give them points for those things. So those could be things like asking good questions, for example, in, in science, or it could be being respectful with other students, or while you're working together as a group on, you know, an assignment, it's, you know, collaborating well, or it could be including, you know, we have all, the, all kinds of ready-made behavior presets for, for schools. So it could be also things like demonstrating empathy, including somebody you don't normally work with. And as they get these points, they'll level up. And so kids can, you know, use their phone at home or, you know, a device provided at school to go, you know, deck, they get swag for their characters. It's, there's like a reward track kind of like Fortnite. And so at every level they unlock new swag and we have, you know, armors and pets and backgrounds and all the digital swag you would expect. And I'm giving my class. So, you know, while that's happening, I've got these students up front on the, their avatars up front on the projector and they can see how cool, you know, Nick looks compared to Sean and like, oh man, I really want that piece of armor. I'm going to try to work towards it. And, and then a student might raise their hand and say, hey, I'm going to use my power to change spots in the classroom so I can be seated next to my friend for this assignment. And I'll say, sounds good. You can use, they can use the crystals they earn to activate these powers and if they do negative behaviors, they can lose hearts, like in Zelda, you know. So if you, you know, if you, for example, are rude to another student, I could t- take off a heart. And so I'm never down-leveling a student. One of the big changes here with this idea is that school is really, um, you, you don't have a lot of, like, cumulative progress to show for the, your work. Like, I could study really hard in math and get a 60% on my fractions exam, and then the next exam study really, really hard and get 60% again on algebra. And although I'm developing new skills and new math skills and new content, what we're communicating to kids is you worked really hard and you sucked just as much as before, right? You <laughs> you had 60, you worked really hard, you still have 60. With, with points and leveling up, like no matter what type of student you are, you're always progressing in Classcraft. And so what we're communicating to them is all the good stuff you're doing is going towards you know your profile and leveling up your profile your character your avatar i can see how that would make me excited as a student and make me want to be engaged but i'm going to put on my Mm -hmm. cynical teacher hat my tired teacher hat and i'm going to say are you kidding me i got to keep up with points now and i've got to like i don't have time to go in some computer software and and say oh i promised them 100 points when they walked in the door and i got to give 200 points like is this hard? Is this another thing? That's a really good question. I mean, we've done a lot of work over the last few years of really making that process of giving points as simple as possible. We're releasing it like a companion mobile app in the next couple of weeks to make it so that you can give points in less than five seconds. Uh, that's our target. Um, so we're, we're always extremely concerned with that. Um, that said, it's not one more thing. Classroom management is core to a teacher's job and it is probably the place where they are least supported uh, by digital tools you know a lot of digital tools you know in ed tech simplify things like handing in homework pushing assignments getting kids to work together 
there's not a lot of things that are out there to really help teachers with the biggest problem they have, which is in essence getting a core group of kids to do what they're supposed to be doing and be motivated to do it. Um, and so, you know, you could say, hey, I'm just going to give you guys points, uh, you know, at the end of the day or at the end of the period. And literally that will take you one minute. Um, but the impact is huge. We just we've been very fortunate that a lot of um, researchers are interested in gamification. And so there's a lot of papers about class craft that have been written over the years by, you know, that we haven't even been involved with just researchers in education. And a meta study was just published um, this year where they looked at uh, hundreds of different papers about Classcraft and they were able to demonstrate that Classcraft has a significant uh, statistical impact on student motivation and, and learning outcomes. And so, you know, it's not one more thing. It's literally helping teachers do what they need to do best, which is teaching. And the way that they could do that is by having students that are you know, motivated to be there and participating actively in a positive classroom culture. You probably don't know this, um, but we've been doing this podcast for over five years or about five years. And um, back in episode 28, and we're in the 200s now, but episode 28, we actually, we featured, thank you. uh, We featured Classcraft. Um, We didn't talk to anybody, right. We didn't talk to anybody from the company. We caught up with... um, uh, a teacher named Steve Isaacs, who may have come yep. across yep. your radar. Of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, he's out of New Jersey, at least used to be um, back when we did the episode in 2017. And we talked about Classcraft and how he was using it in the classroom. And I say all that to say, you guys have been around for a little while. And yep. Yep. what has changed in the way you do things and the way you kind of focus the software? What's been some, um, some major milestones since 2017 to where we are now? There's a lot. Let, let me, let me like, capture a couple of highlights. <laughs> uh, one is we built out a whole set of tooling to roll it out at, you know, for across a whole district. So we now work with, you know, districts who are um, focusing on social emotional learning and how to actually do that, you know, beyond just teaching kids uh, about empathy. How do you reinforce that throughout, you know, genuine interactions throughout the day or schools that want to do PBIS, positive behavior intervention, Um, and so we have, we've built a lot of plumbing to do that. And what's interesting is that, um, that the data that's generated in Classcraft is super useful, um, because it's, it's real time data about students' behavior, which is something we really don't have a lot of in education. A lot of the behavioral data we have is referrals and suspensions, right? The worst behaved kids when they're at their worst and for 90% of the kids, we have literally no idea how they're behaving in, in their classroom. And what's what's interesting with getting positive reinforcement data is that you're able to see, you know, normal kids who are doing what they should be doing. Um, and normally they don't get any recognition for that. But with Classcraft, you're able to see that, call it out, create a culture of success where like, it's like, hey, these kids are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Let's give them a shout out and let's you know, make a big deal out of it. So so the data side of Classcraft is, is really powerful. It also allows them to identify students that are, um, you know, at risk of behavior needs because, you know, hey, Nick didn't get any points this week or for the last two weeks, although he didn't get referred or suspended, let's go see what's going on. And they can look at that data according to, you know, ethnic group, et cetera. So the data side has been a, a huge advance. 
I would say the other part that we've really been focused on is um, simplifying and making Classcraft more accessible to teachers who don't know anything about games. Steve is is a really great teacher, but he's also you know a bit of a nerd, right? <laughs> he's a guy who's into you know using Minecraft to to teach and and those types of things. What we've what we've wanted to do is make Classcraft available and, and accessible to a teacher who's never played Mario Brothers before, right? Um, and so, um, so we've simplified, like we've created, um, different, uh, tiers of the experience. So, you know, like everything I've been describing is all very gamey, but that you can start with a light version of Classcraft and level it up as you get more and more used to it. So making it more accessible. And we've been really focused over the last two years of just talking to teachers, listening to what they need and building that into the platform. So a, a very strong um, user research function um, that we've developed over the last couple of years to help guide, you know, what we should be fixating on. And that's how, you know, we come to decisions like let's make a mobile app that literally does not have all of Classcraft and it literally is optimized just to give points as fast as possible. On Classcraft.com, it, it looks like your tagline's relationships are everything. Am I, am I? Yeah. Okay. That's right. So, that's interesting because you you know you would think like here's this this software that's gamifying a classroom and you think you'd be like gamify your classroom or something along those lines but mm-hmm. no you you guys particularly focused on relationships or everything so I guess the question I would ask you is and I think you've answered this somewhat throughout the whole whole interview but kind of pinpointing how can a relationship get better with your students by putting Classcraft in the classroom you know that is really um, an insightful question. I mean, our goal is to make school meaningful for kids and using uh, positive affirmation and, you know, inspiring motivation mechanics to do that. And so a lot of teachers um, struggle uh, with classroom management. And the reason they struggle is because they don't have strong relationships with their student. With Classcraft, what we're allowing them to do is first of all, set really clear expectations, change their narrative around controlling kids' behavior to reinforcing them on the great things that they're doing. So, you know, going from a culture of compliance on behavior to one of high fives uh, for kids that are, you know, doing the right things. Um, And Classcraft uh, really has a very powerful um, set of engagement tools for running your classroom. So it really changes kind of the way that, you know, teachers aren't the police running their classroom. They're a person who cares about these kids and tells them every day by, you know, recognizing the great things that they're doing and applying the rules of a game everybody has decided to. And so it kind of creates this layer where, classroom management and, and the, 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 the things that are kind of crappy about it. And, you know, cause relationship breaks happen all the time between teachers and students around classroom management. Well, now it's the game doing that. So it's not the teacher who's mean to me. It's the teacher just applying the rules of the game. And so it really creates open space for teachers to run the classroom the way that they want it to be run. But at the same time, um, you know, create, a safe space in essence, if you will, for students to, to be successful, you know, cause the other thing we use a lot to control students is grades and that's a high risk motiv- motivator because they're very public. You can't roll back a grade, you know, they're related to your feature. There's a lot of stress and anxiety around grades, class points, not so much. 
So it, it creates a, a very cool environment, if you will, that is conducive to um, to those relationships um, becoming central to how the classes run. And it's interesting because we hadn't necessarily set out with that in mind. But when we looked at all the different testimonials and, and the different feedback we've gotten from teachers over the years, the w- number one resounding thing was, I love how much this has allowed me to connect with my students and allow them to connect with each other because Classcraft is also a team-based, you know, experience. It's not like you're competing like in a football game, right? Like everybody has a role in the team and you win as a team. And so, um, so that's really created positive relationships between students as well. And so it was just a through line of what teachers are seeing as a benefit. If I'm a teacher and I'm listening and I go, yeah. all right, I want to try this out. Uh, do I need to go like beg my principal or my superintendent to get it for the district or can I buy it on my own? Please go do that. Uh, <laughs> a, but B, there's a, there's a free version forever free. Uh, there's also a, you know, premium teacher license that you can upgrade for. Um, in essence, gets you a bit more features, but also a lot more swag uh, for the kids. Um, and there is a school and district version that, um, that you can go get. And I, and I say that jokingly because, you know, I, I really believe schools should be providing these types of tools to teachers. Um, so if you're uh, if you have to pay out of pocket, then uh, you know the value is there; it's worth it. And let me let me tell you just the amount of time you'll save um, on classroom management. But ultimately, uh, you know, my belief is schools should be paying for that. But Classcraft.com, there's a free version to get started, and some teachers stay on the free version for years and years. It's that good. Again, if somebody wants to check it out, the uh, website is classcraft.com. There is a free version just to kind of, you know, dive in and see what it's all about. Uh, You've been listening to uh, Sean Young, the co-founder and CEO of Classcraft. Sean, we really appreciate you coming on the show. Are you ready for today's pop quiz? I'm ready. All right. Here we go. Get my knees and get in my (laughs) power stance. I'm ready. It's not that hard. All right. So first question, if students could only go to school for one subject, which subject should it be? Oh man, that's a tough one. I, uh, I'm, a, I'm a scientist, so I, I, I want to tend to say uh, they should study science. Um, but you know, I really believe um, most of what kids can learn in school, from an academic standpoint, they can learn themselves on Wikipedia. So I'm going to have to go with you know something more that a class that doesn't exist, but that's about you know social relationships, how to be. Uh, in relationship with other people, how to learn cooperation. I think the the purpose for the main purpose for school should be teaching kids how to be with one another and how to be good citizens. Well, you might have just answered question number two, which is what are we not teaching in school that we should be teaching? That is that uh, for sure. I mean, there's SEL is is a big trend right now. I think we're at the beginnings of that, um, but you know, I'd like to see that go a lot further, and you know, be one of the main reasons for school, as opposed to you know, learning facts that you could just learn on the internet. What does every child deserve? Every child deserves school to be a motivating, safe place for them, where they can accomplish their full potential. Uh, I really think that we have a crisis in America around our schools in this regard. Uh, Kids don't feel safe in school. Um, And that's true with, you know, school violence, but also shootings. Also, you know, the amount of teachers that are now coming into the profession that are not certified. So uh, there's a lot of 
issues we have, but I think school, first and foremost, should be a place where kids can be safe and grow and be themselves. What's the biggest challenge for today's educators? It's a tough one. I mean, I think that the, the one of the big challenges, and I, and, and it was it was this way when I was a te- you know I was a teacher for ten years, and I always felt the profession was um, under respected, <laughs> if if that's a word. Um, you know, I think uh, if the job of teaching was you know put on the same pedestal as the job of being a doctor, for example. A lot of things would change uh, for, for educators. They'd have better conditions. They'd have better resources. They'd have better support from parents. They would have, you know, better pay. Um, and and these are the types of things that I think were, you know, when you say anybody can just go in a classroom and be a teacher, what you're in essence telling people who've been trained for that is that it's not a real profession. So I think we need to we need to really be thinking about how we make the, the, the public perception of the teaching profession uh, rise to the top again. What's the best gift to give an educator? Time and, uh, and respect. You know, I think teachers deserve respect from society and also from the parents of the kids that they're serving. Which teacher changed your life? That would probably be uh, Martin Obey, my uh, senior physics teacher. Uh, he's the reason I studied physics. Um, and he had such a great approach to um, igniting curiosity and making you want to dig in and, and, and find out more. Um, hands-on approach as well with lots and lots of real experiments and, and, and just willing to explore topics. And last question, what's a book that you've read, love, and want to recommend to our listeners? Um, well, I read <laughs> I read probably 30 books a year. Oh, wow, you're a good person uh, to ask then. Yeah, yeah, I read a lot. Uh, novels and, you know, and not novels. Um, probably in the last year, one of the books that got me thinking the most is a book called um, Nice Racism. Um, and it's about uh, how... Um, Racism in America is perpetuated uh, by progressive white people, uh, people, you know, much like myself, um, contrary to a lot of popular belief. Um, so give, give me a good hard look at myself in that regard. Okay. Um, also, 21 Lessons for the 21st Century, um, super interesting book about where we're possibly going as a society and the challenges we have ahead of us as a species. Awesome. Sean Young, uh, again, we appreciate you uh, coming on the show. We appreciate those book recommendations and best of luck uh, with Classcraft. You guys are doing fantastic work. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. If you want to send us an idea or comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com or tweet us at classdismissed. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So please subscribe to the show. And we'd also appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes. On behalf of all the good people working at School Status and Christina, representing all those educators out there, thank you for listening. I'm Nick Ortigo, and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed.